Hello and welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm your host, Katie Halper. One of your hosts, Katie Halper. And I'm the second host, Aaron Matte, and this is Monday Morning, where we react to the Sunday morning news show so that you do not have to. And this week is a tough one because we're in the midst of a war. And it really, the most accurate way to describe it is a, I don't know, an ethnic cleansing campaign. Some would even genocide. say genocide. Yeah. Uh, Israel is causing unbelievable, unfathomable destruction of Gaza. And we'll see how the Sunday shows cover it, but it's not pretty. Are they- are they going to be fair and balanced? You think they're going to give the Palestinian perspective? <laughs> yeah, maybe this is the week for that. Yeah, maybe they yeah. saw us last week, and <laughs> yeah. uh, we we called them out, and they're gonna they are gonna cover this fairly and accordingly. And you know, we should mention um, what happened with the MSNBC's uh, Muslim American uh, anchors, who uh, have been uh, unceremoniously removed from their anchor chairs. That's right. Um, Ayman Mahaldin, uh, Mehdi Hassan, and Ali Velshi, who are all Muslim American, were benched. They were taken off of the air because, for some reason, MSNBC, MSNBC executives decided that it wouldn't be appropriate to have Muslim anchors who are, uh, you know, sympathetic to the Palestinian cause, who acknowledge Palestinians as human beings. It wouldn't be good to right. have them on the air. But I do, right. I did hear that they reversed that. Oh, after, good. Okay. All after right. it was pointed out that you're being like unbelievably racist and right. Like, imagine for one second if a network removed its only three Jewish anchors because of current events. Yes. I mean, uh, in the case of CNN, they have Wolf Blitzer, who used to work for APAC, literally. He used to work for right. the Israel lobby. Yeah. He, yeah. Um, and others who share his anti-Palestinian views, and they're on the air all the time. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. And also, just want to say, you know, there's obviously there was a Hamas attack and civilians were killed. Um but the difference is our government doesn't support Hamas, doesn't fund Hamas, and Hamas is not an occupying army um, uh, bombing buildings and infrastructure right now right. as we speak. Absolutely correct. Yeah. Absolutely correct. Well, should we get to yeah. this week's clips? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Well, here's Meet the Press. Good Sunday morning. The eyes of the world are on Gaza today as Israel prepares to broaden its assault on Hamas. This is more than a million Palestinians in northern Gaza. And remember, just keep this in mind. Remember, she said Israel prepares to broaden its um, assault on Hamas. Okay, so she's framing this as Israel versus Hamas. Trying to head south in car by foot and in carts pulled by donkeys after Israel warned almost half of the territory's population to leave their homes. The United Nations has urged Israel to withdraw its evacuation order, with one official calling it a death sentence for Gazans forced to leave hospitals. The U.S. has been trying to broker a deal to reopen Egypt's Rafah crossing with Gaza to allow Americans and other foreigners to leave. Palestinian officials say more than 2,300 people have been killed in Gaza. In Israel, more than 1,400 have been killed. The dead include 29 Americans, 15 Americans remain unaccounted for, feared to be among the more than 120 hostages Hamas is holding in Gaza. On Friday, President Biden met virtually. So she mentions that the dead include 29 Americans inside Israel. Uh, She doesn't mention that the dead also include now over 1,000 children in Gaza. And at the point when she was broadcasting this yesterday, it was at least over 720. 
So it's interesting what they choose to focus on. You think the death of that many children, because the majority of Gaza's residents are children, uh, people, by the way, have never voted for Hamas. Right. Um, that's not worth mentioning. Right. And, and and I think over the weekend you had like entire bloodlines um, eliminated. Yeah. Entire families, like 45 members of a family. for more than an hour with their families and he spoke about that call last night they've endured an agony of not knowing what's happened not the same thing but i can tell you what it's like it's one thing to lose someone you know you're going to lose and be there with them and hold their hands like i was able to do with my son it's a very other thing to get a phone call like got years ago saying there's been an accident your wife and daughter are dead i'm not sure your boys are going to make it. So imagine, though, the so again, these people, he's, he's obviously talking about the Jewish Israeli victims of Hamas, um, not mentioning the Palestinian victims who are not killed by an accident, but orders of the Israeli government with this guy's support. So it would be nice if he had the empathy as he always tries to connect things to his own personal tragedy. It would be nice if he applied that to the deaths of people, uh, of all people, not just uh, one side of this, what's often called a conflict, but let's say th of this occupation. So, crocodile tears, to quote Norman Finkelstein. The uncertainty of those two or three hours trying to get back to find out. It's the worst feeling in the world. It's gut-wrenching. The president has called the Hamas attack unadulterated evil and brutality. But U.S. officials, including Secretary of State Blinken, who is traveling in the region, have also called on Israel for restraint. Israel has the right, indeed it has the obligation, to defend its people and to try to ensure that Hamas can never repeat what it's done. We continue to discuss with Israel the importance of taking every possible precaution to avoid harming civilians. Oh, that's good. I'm glad they're discussing this. They're discussing, discussing using restraint, avoiding <laughs> civilian. It would be nice if they demanded it. It would be nice if Israel actually did that. But I'm glad it's in the ether. Yeah. But, I, but even the premise of, of restraint is, is ridiculous because like, what are they targeting? They're targeting a civilian population. The Hamas fighters that are in Gaza are in tunnels. They're not going to be hit by these airstrikes on schools and hospitals and mosques and homes. Um, if you follow uh, the, just like every day on Twitter, there's a new family being announced and like slain in, in their homes because their home gets killed. So it's bombed. I mean, the demand should be for an immediate, not right. like not yeah. restraint, but just a total pause. Yeah. Ceasefire. Yeah. A, a complete pause. And if he wants to prevent Hamas from ever attacking Israel again, he has to address the occupation. I mean, this this notion that Israel has a right to defend itself. Yes, a state has a right to defend itself from armed attack, but it doesn't have the right to occupy a people. And occupied people have the right to fight back. And as long as you occupy them, they will fight back. Right. Even in the gruesome ways that we saw last week. And that will never be addressed by these people because they're right. devoted to continuing the occupation. That's just what it comes down to. 
Caitlin Johnson had a great series of tweets and a great Substack, and she was kind of saying, and other people have made this point. Imagine if the British had responded to the Irish this way. Just bomb civilian areas. I mean, I'm not they uh, they did problematic things, but if they just bombed entire schools, hospitals in Ireland and said, "Oh, the IRA are using human shields." Yeah. The world would have been in, up in arms. That's right. That's right. But also, also you're you're totally right. It should be it shouldn't just be use restraint as you defend yourself, but even that, they're discussing it. Great. I'm sure the discussion was them suggesting, guys, we're a little embarrassed by your wiping out civilians. Can you tone it down a little bit? I'm sure Israel was like, no, that's probably the discussion. Yeah, that's quite plausible. All right. Well, so you you noted that in that clip, Kristen Walker said that Israel is at war with Hamas. Yes, right. We have, we have some pushback, though, because uh, let's listen to what happened, uh, what was revealed by an Israeli soldier to Abby Phillips, one of the worst propagandists on CNN. Let's hear if he agrees that this is a war on, on Hamas. And he would know because he's fighting. How you and your fellow soldiers are preparing for what your country is heading into right now, which could very well be a prolonged war with Hamas. I try to correct you to the answer. The war is not just with Hamas. The war is uh, with all the civilians that cannot see us as human beings. So all the civilians who can't see us as human beings, it's not actually just with Hamas. And he's very explicit about this. He says he has to correct her. Yes, uh, they haven't made uh, that shy like the Israeli president, Isaac Herzog. He also said that the whole population of Gaza is responsible for Hamas. And therefore, he's saying there are no innocent civilians right. inside Gaza. And so, yeah, it's really hard to maintain this fiction that Israel is somehow just targeting Hamas when even their soldiers and officials are openly saying they're going after the entire population. Right. A population that, again, is mostly children. It's um, mostly people who... Uh, haven't even voted for Hamas. Uh, that vote, when Hamas won, was that was back in 2006. Right. And that's a long time ago now. And they're the ones, though, who are being targeted and right. and, uh, and and killed. Um, right. Yeah. And, I mean, you're, that's a very important point that, you know, most of these people, right, are children. Um, all other, other adults haven't voted for them. But it also should not be a death sentence to have voted for a certain party. I mean, no, of course not. Right? No, like, no, course, if people voted for Likud, you know, I don't think these people would be okay if Hamas said, well, Likud um, is terrible on Palestinians, so we're just going to wipe out yeah. uh, the civilian population there because they vote for Likud. That's a great point. Or voting for Joe Biden, who's responsible for right, yeah. the killings of, you know, untold numbers of people, of course. Right. Yes. Right. It's just, it just to underscore that these are. This is a young population that right. is being targeted. Right, here. totally. Yeah. 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 Even by their own art like sociopathic argument doesn't fit. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So let's move on. And of on. course, Abby oh. Phillips does not push back on this genocide right. claim at all. Just no. okay. Oh, 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 my bad. You're not going after Hamas, you're going after the entire population. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And look at her continue looking at him with empathy. Empathy yeah. that she has only on tap for him and his people, and somehow not the civilians. You'd yeah. think a journalist would just be like, okay, so you're saying it is civilians. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. 
Let's should we go here from our, our good friend Jake Sullivan? Yes, Jake Sullivan, the genius national <laughs> security advisor for President Biden. He was on Meet the Press. Before I let you Jake, very quickly before I let you go, obviously there had been talks about a deal for normalized relations between Saudi Arabia and Israel prior to this horrific attack. We know that Secretary Blinken met with the Saudi crown prince. What is the status of that deal? Are talks off for now? Well, actually, Secretary Blinken was just in Saudi Arabia. I just had the opportunity to see the crown prince and other senior officials in, in that government as part of a region-wide tour where he's been talking to the leaders of all or, or many of the, the major Middle Eastern countries. For the moment, the focus has to be on helping Israel defend itself against the brutal terrorism of, of Hamas. And we will have opportunities as we go forward to look at diplomatic initiatives like normalization that help lead to a long-term, more stable, more integrated region. I hear you saying they're on pause for now. The talks are not continuing right now. There's not some kind of formal pause. Uh, we're not you know, pressing a button. I would just say that the, the main effort and emphasis from a diplomatic perspective of the United States today is on the immediate situation. But the long-term goal of a more peaceful, more integrated Middle East region, including through normalization, remains very much a focus of U.S. foreign policy. So what he means by this is the, the Biden administration is pursuing the Trump approach of basically trying to make deals between Israel and Gulf monarchies that sideline Palestinians. Because for decades, the Palestinian issue has been the key issue, uh, not just in the Middle East, but really arguably in the world, although in recent years that has changed up until up until this last week. And they're trying very hard to basically cut any kind of deal that basically kicks the Palestinians uh, out, like leaves them out, like makes their situation of occupation and subjugation permanent and normalizes Israel and basically bribes the Gulf monarchies to look the other way and, and ignore Palestinians, uh, which they've done al already. But this once, the, but these deals are aimed to just cement that. And this latest uh, flare-up of violence has put an end to the talks between Israel and Saudi Arabia. But again, if all these people, the Biden administration, the Trump administration, if they all really wanted normalization between Israel and all the Arab states, they could have accepted the Arab offer that was made made for decades, but it was again f formally made once again in 2002, so more than 20 years ago. All Israel had to do was withdraw from all the occupied territories as it's mandated to under UN Resolution 242 and establish a Palestinian state there in the West Bank and Gaza, which the Palestinian leadership was willing to accept, which is just 22% of historic Palestine. So that's a big compromise for Palestinians. And Israel would get full normalization. But because Israel, with U.S. backing, is totally devoted to occupying the West Bank and keeping the settlement blocks that it wants, stealing Palestinian water reserves, Israel's never accepted it. And the U.S. has never put any pressure on Israel to implement it. And so that's why, that, that, that's why we're, at, we're at today. And by the way, even Hamas at one point was willing to accept that. Right. Years ago. I mean, that's over now. But even they were willing to accept that. But because Israel was more extreme on this issue than even Hamas, that's why we don't have peace. And that's why there's been this ongoing attempt to make these side deals between Israel and monarchies like Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's go to Mark Jake Sullivan. We're going to get a window into what a genius this guy is, uh, being responsible for the national security of the U.S. Uh, and hear a clip from him from just shortly before 
all this violence broke out. Is quiet. The Middle East region is quieter today than it has been in two decades. Now, challenges remain. Iran's nuclear weapons program, the tensions between Israelis and Palestinians. But the amount of time that I have to spend on crisis and conflict in the Middle East today compared to any of my predecessors going back to 9-11 is significantly reduced. So that was just eight days before the Hamas operation. And Jake Sullivan is bragging. He's saying that the Middle East is quieter than it has been in years. And by quiet, he means that Palestinians are subservient. They're knowing their role. They're, they're not resisting. Uh, Israel's been able to bomb Syria regularly without facing any retaliation. So that, that that's what he means by quiet. And of course, eight days later, what happens? You have one of the biggest crises in the world uh, in recent memory coming right. from the Middle East because people like him were so busy trying to bury Palestinians and pretend as if they had been subdued and successfully subjugated. So right. that's the window into what a genius he is. Uh, and let's hear his response. Why was your assessment there so far off the mark? Well, first, Kristen, I made those comments in the context of developments in the wider Middle East region over the last few years after two decades that involved a civil. It's the wider Middle East. Okay? It's yeah. the wider context. Right. Yeah. 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 Not the key issue in the Middle East for decades. War in Yemen and a massive humanitarian catastrophe, a civil war. Oh, we really care about Yemen, right? That's why we're still uh, arming uh, Saudi Arabia def defend for defensive warfare. You know, the def defense that they need to be playing. Yes, and he calls it a civil war. It actually was a Saudi invasion that right. his administration, when he was working for Obama, greenlit. Saudi Arabia literally came to the White House and said, can we invade and bomb Yemen? Will you support us? And Obama thought about it for like, I don't know, a couple of days and was like, yes. So another great decision from the strategic geniuses in the Obama-Biden camp. Wow. By the way, did you did we see this this comment about um, this is worth highlighting? Uh, I teach ethnic studies and I've been teaching students about settler colonialism. My principal tried taking my Palestine flag off my class. Wow. Wow. Well, yeah. kudos to you, Alfie. And yeah, that's a trend going on. Uh, oh, yeah. Especially on campuses. People are, you know, people in power are not happy with people supporting Palestinian rights. And there's a huge effort to crack down on that. Right. Okay. Well, that's, that's enough from, uh, from, from Jake. For, well, we have one more from Jake, actually. Let's, let's, let's get through this one. Any of those Palestinians, if any of those Palestinian civilians are permitted to leave Gaza, does the United States have assurances from Israel that they will eventually be allowed to return to their homes or will they just become refugees? The United States is a very simple proposition on this is when people leave their homes in conflict, leave their houses in conflict, they deserve the right to return to those homes, to those houses. And this. You hear that, Katie? Yeah. Jake Sullivan. Right to return. The right of return. This is, yeah. this is unprecedented. Um, uh, watershed moment. Yeah. Yeah. This has been an issue for, uh, you know, nearly 80 years uh, because in 1948, when Israel was founded, hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were expelled from their homes in an ethnic cleansing campaign, and they've been denied the right to return since. It's at the core of Palestinian demands uh, for any kind of peace with Israel, at least having the right of return respected. And Palestinian negotiators have been willing to accept not the full return, but at least a recognition that they have the right to return. 
Uh, but here's Jake Sullivan, seemingly reverse, reversing years of U.S. policy, which denies Palestine the right of return, saying he supports the right of return. Right. Uh, and that's great for news for Gazans because most of the rev- most of the population of Gaza are refugees and right. descendants of refugees. So they're people who used to have homes in neighboring Israeli towns and what are now kibbutzes, including some of those areas that were attacked by Hamas. So maybe this means that, according to Jake Sullivan, they can go back. They can leave Gaza and go back right. to their old homes. But, but note he doesn't answer the question, right? Because he's asked if they have any assurances that they'll be able to return. His response is that they have a proposition. Right. Yes. 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 Yeah. Um, well, if only he could actually apply those that profess rights that he claims to support. Right. Uh, that, would, right. that would solve a lot of problems. But. Right. So, so his, his his answer is no. Right. His answer to the question is if there are any assurances that these people will be able to return. Yeah. No. No. The answer is no. Just a nice idea that he but they have the right to supports. Yeah. They, they have the right to. Uh, OK. Jake Sullivan also made the rounds to Jake Tapper and Jake Tapper took a break from being a uh, anti-Palestinian fanatic to actually ask Jake Tapper some somewhat decent questions. Yeah. The hostage is rescuing the hostages a priority at all. I mean, Israeli news media like Haaretz, they say it doesn't seem like it at all. And, and frankly, Jake, if my kids were being held hostage in Gaza, and as you know, there are Americans being held hostage in Gaza right now, I'd want you, be, you to send in the Navy SEALs. What, what's the conversation like in the White House? Let me just say one thing. US- if, if my kids were being held hostage, I would be not very assured by someone like Jake Sullivan working on it. He looks literally not asleep at the wheel, but dead at the wheel. But also look at those eyes. And also, you know, this is not what I meant by claiming that Jake Tapper asked a good question. I, I think they come later in this clip, but also think of how insane that statement is. If your child was kidnapped, was a hostage, what would you want? You'd want hostage negotiations, right? Because yeah. both camps have hostages. Hamas has these more than 100 Israeli hostages hostages. Israel has thousands of Palestinian hostages that it's imprisoned uh, in its uh, prisons for years and years and years. And that's and there have been successful prison swaps before. Right. Previously, the Israeli soldier Gilad Shalit was swapped for hundreds of Palestinian prisoners in a deal between Israel and Hamas. So there's a precedent there. If your child is being held by Hamas, then you'd want, obviously, negotiations, not a insane military raid by U.S. special forces into Gaza that would get everybody killed. Um, right. Is he nuts? <laughs> but yeah, that's again, true. Yeah, they can't process yeah. the even the idea of negotiations. Right. With, with well, Hamas. probably because he thinks all Palestinians are are animals. Honestly, well, yes, yes, I'm sure he has adopted that because that's what Israeli officials, including the defense minister, has openly said. Right. And but, our media basically lets and our basic our political our politicians and media co-sign whether directly or indirectly, overtly yeah. or covertly. And I'm, but I'm hoping, though, if I remember right, there is a decent question in here from Jake Tapper, and I hope we get to it or else I'm going to look very foolish for saying he asked good questions. Well, what, this question what, is insane. I mean, what he does do is at least, as we'll see soon, is at least pushes back um, or points out that Israel isn't even doing the right thing by their own citizens. There's not going to be a lot of uh, respect for Palestinians. Trigger, trigger, uh, spoiler alert. Any sort of operations in order to save Americans being held hostage in Gaza. 
Well, the president has been very clear that he has no higher priority than getting Americans back safe, Americans who are being held hostage by Hamas. The Israelis are right bombing now. the crap out of Gaza, brutal, and, and, Jake. I mean, bombing the crap out of Gaza. Yeah. Here we go. Okay, so at least he's... It doesn't seem like saving the hostages are a priority at all right now. But again, it's not about they're killing Palestinian civilians. His His problem with it is that that could endanger... Uh, Israeli hostages, which, by the way, Electronic Intifada has a story. Uh, uh, and this, a lot of people predicted this. I had Mohammed Hissam on the Katie Halper show. And I even asked him if he thought that they would, uh, if if he thought Israel would level bomb uh, Gaza buildings at the risk of or result with the effect of killing the, some of the Israeli captives. He said, yeah, of course. It wouldn't be surprising. And according to um, this is just one thing that we know, according to uh, one of the survivors of a kibbutz, Hamas's kibbutz attack, Israeli forces shot their own civilians. And I'm sure it's happening more than that. That's just one person. That's just one witness account. That's right. Yes. That was on Israeli state radio where a woman who was taken hostage said that actually some hostages were killed in crossfire between right. uh, Okay, let's move on to the next Jake Sullivan clip because we have one more from him because, you know, unfortunately, this is not just now uh, a Israeli assault on Gaza. There is the threat of a wider regional escalation, uh, including with Iran, right. as many U.S. politicians seem to want because they blame Iran for all this right. somehow. Um, and let's hear Jake Sullivan asked about that. Right. Floyd, a second... The United States deployed a second aircraft carrier to the eastern Mediterranean. I'm wondering if you have new intelligence that shows that the threat from Iran is growing. We don't have some specific new intelligence that the threat is different today from yesterday. The threat yesterday was real. The threat today is real. There is a risk of an escalation of this conflict, the opening of a second front in the north, and of course of Iran's involvement. That is a risk, and that's a risk that we have been mindful of since the start. It's why the president moved so rapidly and decisively. Uh, to get an aircraft carrier into the eastern Mediterranean, to get aircraft into the Gulf, uh, because he wants to send a very clear message of deterrence to any- Is everyone out there feeling assured that Biden sent two aircraft carriers into the Gulf? Yeah, I could uh, sleep at night. Yes, yes. What? A, how reassuring. Yeah. How reassuring. This is great. Um, again, the idea of diplomacy with all these states, with, with Hamas, that doesn't enter the equation. It's all just military might. And I don't know, what are these aircraft carriers even going to do if there is a war? Um, you know, I don't think these people are thinking anything through. They're, I mean, it's like, at least under the Bush administration, you had the same neocon policy, but at least in Congress, there were some people who were trying to lead some kind of opposition. Now you have a handful of Congress members, like Rashida Tlaib, calling for a ceasefire. But otherwise, it's just neocon city. Yeah, but you know what a ceasefire is, according to the Biden administration, according to Karine Jean-Pierre? Repugnant. Repugnant. Repugnant and disgraceful. Repugnant and disgraceful, yeah. Okay, well, someone who agrees with Karine Jean-Pierre is the always reliable Lindsey Graham. Oh, yeah. Who I think is pretty giddy at the prospect of a conflict. Of course. With About Iran, Senator. The broader region, of course. You said this week that the only way to keep the war from escalating is to hold Iran accountable, part yes. of what you're talking about now, yeah. and that it might mean bombing their oil refineries. Yeah. Have you had any discussion? 
So just to to uh, to summarize this this thesis, the only way to keep war from escalating is to escalate it by bombing Iran's oil refineries. That sounds like a very yeah. good plan to to yeah. de-escalate. Yeah. Yes with the Biden administration about this? Uh, a bit. Uh, I want to applaud President Biden for his strong statement in support of Israel. I just got off the phone to the Israelis. Uh, their goal is to destroy Hamas in the south and try to save as many innocent Palestinians as possible to prevent escalation north from Hezbollah. Here's my message. If Hezbollah, which is a proxy of Iran, launches a massive attack on Israel, I will consider that a threat to the um, to to the state of Israel, existential in nature, I will introduce a resolution in the United States Senate to allow military action by the United States in conjunction with Israel to knock Iran out of the oil business. Iran, if you escalate this war, we're coming for you. Are you effectively poised to declare war on Iran? That's very strong language. I, I am poised. So he's threatening escalation against Iran. But then he says to Iran, if you escalate, we're coming for you after he's already right. threatened to come for Iran anyway. Right. Um, this and, guy. And, is- yeah. Well, it's interesting because he also says he was he's going to knock Iran out of the oil business, which, by the way, would probably skyrocket the price of oil and mess up the U.S. economy. But that's neither here nor there for him. No. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't care about things like that. No. He just wants war. But let's hear the rest of his answer. To use military force to destroy the source of funding for Hamas and Hezbollah. The idea that Iran read about this operation in the paper or on television is laughable. 93% of Hezbollah and Hamas's money comes from Iran. They're the source of the problem. They're the great evil. So if Hezbollah escalates against Israel, it will be because Iran told them to. Then, Iran, you're in the crosshairs of the United States and Israel. You know, I don't know where he's getting this figure from of where the funding comes from. And regardless, states have the right to you know, fund their allies. Just look at the U.S., which spends right. billions of dollars every year arming Israel to the teeth and defending its occupation from any kind of international pushback. But even on the issue of who's funding Hamas. Israel, from the start, has propped up Hamas because when Hamas was founded in response to decades of Israeli occupation in the late 1980s, Israel saw an opportunity because they could see you know, Hamas, which is Islamist and hardline, as a, as a way to undermine the Palestinian Liberation Organization, right. which was PLO. secular, with the PLO, which was secular, and had then for years already accepted, accepting a Palestinian state, uh, actually Right around that time, it accepted a, a Palestinian state inside the 1967 border, so just the West Bank and Gaza. And Israel, because it's a colonial power, did not want to give up an inch of Palestinian land. Right. So it turned to actually propping up Hamas. And in recent years, Netanyahu even said that the best way to prevent a Palestinian state is to support Hamas. He said that right. in March 20, 2019, according to Har, to Har, it's the Israeli newspaper. And that's why he facilitated, facilitated not Iran... Uh, to fund Hamas, but Qatar, which is a U.S. ally, Qatar's been spending hundreds of millions of dollars to support Hamas under an Israeli strategy of, again, leaving Hamas in power to undermine any calls for a Palestinian Right. So, so my, yeah. I saw someone uh, write, write this on Twitter. I think it's really smart. Will you condemn, people should be saying, will you condemn Israel for creating Hamas? Yes. Uh, and, and propping them up. And also, and, and Hezbollah too. 
Hezbollah was founded in the early 1980s after Israel invaded Lebanon, killed tens of thousands of people. And Hezbollah successfully drove Israeli forces from southern Lebanon after, you know, many, many years of occupation. So both of these groups are responses to occupation and killings. And if you don't like them, the best way to address them is stop the occupation and the killings instead of threatening more, as, as Lindsey Graham is doing. Um, okay, let's hear from some more Republican geniuses. Here is Senator oh, yeah. Tom Cotton. Water cut off a human. First of all, food and water cut off a humanitarian crisis and destruction there. Shannon, as far as I'm concerned, Israel can bounce the rubble in Gaza. Anything that happens in Gaza is the. Anybody hear that? He said, as far as I'm concerned, Israel can bounce the rubble in Gaza. I've never even heard that term before. What does that mean to bounce the rubble? I guess that yeah. just means to like turn Gaza into rubble, but I've never right. heard it framed that way. So I guess credit to him for coming up with a creative way of calling for genocide. I don't know. Bounce yeah, I know. Rubble. I like it. It's good. I like the way he's so excited about it. Yeah. The responsibility of Hamas. Hamas killed women and children in Israel last weekend. If women and children die in Gaza, it will be because Hamas is using them, using them as human shields because they're not currently allowing them to uh, evacuate as Israel has asked them to do so. Gaza. You know, I don't know about that claim that Hamas is blocking people from evacuating. I do know that when Israel said that people should evacuate, there was a convoy that was bombed. And some people are claiming that Israel is claiming that actually the road was booby-trapped by Hamas. Right. I find hard to believe, especially because an ambulance after it came to the scene was also hit, which means either this ambulance was also hit another Hamas booby trap or, as Israel has often done, hit the ambulance with another airstrike uh, right. when it arrived on the scene. Right. So, um, and regardless, he's saying Hamas is using all these people as human shields. People are in their homes. Entire generations are being wiped out because, first of all, they're, people are displaced, so they go to where they can. So homes are even more crammed than normal, and they're being wiped out in their homes. And he's going to say that these people are human shields by Hamas. It's just the the genocidal, the open genocidal intent is is right. it's unbelievable. And people really seem to it's unbelievable to me that despite all this evidence, and I'm actually having Norman Finkelstein on my show tonight to talk about this, not to talk about um, Kendi uh, X Ibram. Um, but uh, people really seem to find it hard to believe that Israel would kill civilians. Well, I don't know what planet they're living I, on. This I know. This is what Israel has done since its founding. Right. Um, so, but I, I guess I'm saying that because you would think that it would be obvious that Israel is the one doing this, bombing the convoys as they tell them to leave. Yeah. But um, yeah. yeah. OK, we have so many more Republican uh, voices to hear from saying insane things. Oh, let's, yeah. go, let's go to oh, God, this guy's Florida governor He's a good, and Republican good presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis. For example, but would you advise, for example, the Israeli military to avoid attacking infrastructure to provide water and electricity as they have done? Well, Margaret, the Hamas is holding people hostage still. You have Israelis being held hostage as well as Americans being held hostage. I understand I don't that. Think they're under, but I don't think they're under an obligation to be providing water and these utilities while those hostages are being held. Hamas should return those hostages 
uh, before any discussions are had. And it's a disgrace what they're doing. And Israel has every right to use all the pressure that they can to get those people back. There are. So Ron's calling for collective punishment of right. all of Gaza, of millions of people, including denying them water, on top of the fact that over 90 percent, it's probably 95 percent, but it, like to be generous, over 90 percent of Gaza's water was already undrinkable. Right. And the, the pipes are destroyed. Israel cut off water uh, to Gaza. And Ron DeSantis is saying that this is great because we need to collectively punish the entire population of Gaza because that will somehow lead to the release of hostages. Right. I, I don't I have a feeling he wouldn't be. Well, who knows? But again, if you imagine like the IRA having hostages, I don't think he'd be OK with the English. Collectively punishing all, all of, uh, of Ireland. It's a great point. Uh, let's get back to Ron. Yeah. 2.3 million people living this in This is Gaza, actually kind of impressive. Like, you know, she's, she's often not the most, um, I'd say, principled uh, anchor. But she, even even uh, Margaret seems to be disgusted by this. 2.3 million people living in Gaza. Collective punishment is something you support? It's not Yes, the answer is yes. And that's yeah. a great question. Uh, I, it's surprising to see, as you point out, it's a great question. And his answer is yes, no matter what he says. Collective punishment. Hamas is the one that is creating this predicament. Hamas is the one who always uses civilian targets to conduct operations. And we dealt with this some in Iraq where Al-Qaeda in Iraq would commandeer mosques. So under normal circumstances, of course, you don't target a religious institution. But if you have terrorist groups that are converting that in to a base of operations, then you absolutely treat that as military targets. But that's because Hamas is making those decisions to convert that infrastructure into the use uh, for terrorist purposes. But would you, you know, Caitlin Johnson made another great point, which is that so Israel did not have the intelligence capability to foresee this massive operation by Hamas into Israel. But somehow we're supposed to believe they now have the intelligence capability to know exactly where Hamas is in all locations that they're bombing around Gaza. So Israel was taken by complete surprise in this operation that Hamas launched. Yet some, somehow magically within days can now tell exactly everywhere where Hamas is. Well, where was that intelligence capability when Hamas was planning this operation and launching it? Um, it's just it's it's just, it's a complete fiction. This idea that every strike that Israel is taking is targeted at Hamas, and that it's their fault. It's it's Hamas's fault that civilians happen to be caught in the crossfire. No, Israel's targeting civilian infrastructures as as it's always done in all these operations. Um, okay, well, should we hear from some more Republican geniuses, Katie? I I think we should. I mean, don't we have more uh, more uh, DeSantis? We do have more DeSantis. And uh, yes, we do. A bit more about that because, and let me ask you a little bit more about that because of the 2 million people who live in Gaza, half of them are under the age of 18. Let's take a listen to something you said yesterday. We cannot accept people from Gaza into this country as refugees. I am not going to do that. Uh, if you look at how they behave, not all of them are Hamas, but they are all anti-Semitic. I'm sure you know all Arabs are Semites, but how can you paint with such a broad brush 
to say 2.3 million people are anti-Semitic? Well, first of all, uh, my position is very clear. Uh, those Gaza refugees, Palestinian Arabs, should go to Arab countries. The U.S. should not be absorbing um, any of those. I think the culture, so they elected Hamas. Let's just be clear. So first of all, yes, I'm a bigot. And also, I don't want any of them coming into my country after we right. displace them. I want them to go to Arab countries, just to underscore how much of a bigot I am. About that. Yeah. Not everyone's a member of Hamas. Most probably aren't, but they did elect Hamas. In 2006, and then system, the military occupation happened after that, where well, they went well, in and haven't allowed elections since 2007. So in 2006, there was I know, an election. But there was a lot of there was then. a lot of there was a lot of celebrating of those attacks um, in the Gaza Strip uh, by by a lot of those folks who were not Hamas. But if you look at their education system, this has been an issue for a long time. They teach kids to hate Jews. The textbooks do not have Israel even on the map. Uh, they prepare. You know, when I went to Gaza uh, 21 years ago, I met wow. a lot of kids and nobody hated Jews. They hated Israelis who stole their homes right. and kept them in a prison camp. Um, and Israelis do all this in the name of Judaism, in the name exactly. of being a Jewish state. So it didn't surprise me when I would hear people in Gaza talk about how much they hated the fact that the Jewish state was doing this to them. Um, I would hate the Jewish state too, if they did that to me. Right. Um, and it's, it's, and it's ironically the people who link and conflate Judaism or Jewishness with Zionism, there are two groups. There are anti-Semites who use Zionist and Jewish as um, uh, interchangeably. And then there are people like APAC and ADL. Uh, yes, yes, exactly. Uh, who are the biggest, um, conflators. Th they're the biggest conflators. Absolutely. Um, yeah. all right, let's, I think we can hear more from Ron here cause he just doubles down. Pair very young kids, uh, to commit terrorist attacks. So I think it's a toxic culture. And I think if we were to import large numbers of those to the United States, I think it would increase anti-Semitism in this country. And I think it would increase anti-Americanism yeah. in this country. And that's something after seeing those demonstrations pop up in our country, just with, with blood still flowing amongst Israeli citizens over the weekend, mm -hmm. uh, you had people taking the- Wait, any, any Palestinian blood flowing that you wanna maybe mention? Or, no. or pretend or 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 you don't care because they're toxic to the streets cheering on the barbarism of nope. Hamas in our own country. That was a chilling uh, thing to see. Uh, and I, by the way, I was at a uh, and so were you, Aaron, if I if I may reveal that um, we were both at a Jewish protest um, calling. Uh, we weren't it wasn't to cheer on Hamas. The signs that I saw were never again is now, no Jewish apartheid, none our name, ceasefire now. That's what the protests were for. And this was a one called by, called on, organized by um, a Jewish Voice for Peace. And look, I mean, he's talking about, he's condemning people for celebrating barbarism when meanwhile on corporate TV every single day, people like him are openly cheering on barbarism as he's just exemplified by calling for cutting off water to millions of people in Gaza. That's the barbarism that is on display in the U.S. right now. That's the barbarism uh, that is the most dangerous, and that's the barbarism that he's taking part in. Um, and, 
Yeah, I mean, there's just so much there, but it's it's just listen. We have more hits from Republicans. We're going to skip the next clip and go on to the uh, Congressmember Joe Wilson. He's a Republican of South Carolina, and uh, he has some insight into what he thinks is behind the Hamas operation against Israel. Hamas, uh, Hezbollah, Hamas uh, truly uh, is Iran. Uh, it is Raisi. Uh, they do believe uh, in death to Israel. They are working on that now, uh, killing all Jewish people, not just the people of Israel, and uh, death to America. And, and then sadly, uh, we can see the collusion and approval uh, by war criminal Putin. Hamas has sent uh, its emissaries there in March. Uh, they had uh, emissaries there uh, in uh, September. Uh, they actually conducted the uh, invasion on Putin's birthday. Uh, there's such collusion of the dictators around the world, and we need to be prepared to stop it. Guys, on Putin's birthday, that's how coordinated this attack is. I and you know what? Call me a 10 7 truther. But I believe that's <laughs> yeah. what happened. Well, we finally found the real Putin collusion. It wasn't with Trump, after all, it was with Putin and Hamas. As a birthday gift to Putin, they launched this operation against Israel, this deadly assault. And I guess sent Putin birthday greetings alongside this attack. I guess that's what we're supposed to believe, according to Member of Congress Joe Wilson. Who's, by the way, the one who, a little flashback, he's the one who interrupted one of Obama's State of the Union addresses and said, you lied. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, and, and by the, yeah. Yeah. No, and by the, even him claiming that you know, Iran wants death to all the Jews. You know, I mentioned earlier that there was a 2002 Arab League peace offer to Israel, full normalization. All you have to do is withdraw your forces and, set, and settlements from the occupied territories, create a Palestinian state there, have a just resolution to the refugee issue, and we'll recognize you. And all the Arab states endorsed that, and so did Iran. Iran officially endorsed that a few years later. So this idea that Iran wants to wipe Israel off of the map, again, Iran signed on to the two-state solution, which everybody, including the U.S. and Israel, claim to support, but in reality, Israel refuses to allow because it wants to keep occupying the West Bank. So that's just like, no matter how many times you can uh, try to cite the fact that some protesters chant death to America, death to Israel, the fact is their governments have accepted the international peace plan that Israel and the U.S. claim to support, but in practice, always undermine. Um, okay, let's go on to another clip. Uh, this is uh, ABC News talking about the hostages and oh, yeah. their, their frustration with Benjamin Netanyahu, the, the, the hostages, the families of the Israeli hostages who are frustrated with Netanyahu. On the hostage situation now with ABC foreign correspondent James Longman, who has been here in Israel all week. And James, so good to see you. I know you've had a really emotional week talking to survivors and families of hostages. Yeah, Martha, you know, it's been extraordinary, actually. The, I think it, what's most striking is the, the intimacy of the killing on Saturday. That's what really, I think, the survivors explained. The idea that these men came into their homes and murdered their families in front of them. Okay, I have to. I'm sorry to inject this, but we do have a have a uh, you know a tradition on the show of pointing out TMM, which is too much moose. I do think we have to, this this reporter qualifies for TMM. He is, is he moose. is walking in the TMM footsteps of that, and I think I think it's a British thing because the other guy with TMM is Brit, so it may That's be. That's true. A What's up with yeah. the Brits and moose? 
yeah, yeah. what's up yeah. yeah them rotem will stay with me a long time 16 years old the last thing he heard his father say was i've lost my arm and his mother her body landed on his and he had to hide under her body from hamas terrorists as they searched the building for more victims uh, it's just been terrible but father for, for others they, they've been waiting for news on on loved ones and they just haven't been getting it they they haven't gotten really any news they're not keeping in touch with people no i mean all week this week we had the horrible image of one family i met the family of kim damty 22 she was at the festival in the desert her father was going hospital to hospital with her hairbrush with hair on it with her dna trying to find out if she died and at the end of the week they finally got the answer they were dreading that Kim had in fact been killed and they had their funeral but there are so many other families now waiting for news the families of these hostages we've actually just reached out to the family of a 19-year-old IDF soldier she was taken her family went through the ordeal of looking at videos of her bloodied and bound being taken into Gaza we reached her to, out to her family this morning the IDF the Israeli government have still not given them updates about what they believe to be the case with her daughter and her mother at the moment is sitting i met her sitting on her sofa her couch at home struck dumb with grief and there are many others like that so much and i i think this is underscores that the Israeli government could if it wanted to be engaging in negotiations to try to get all these people freed um hamas has said what they want is just the release of palestinian prisoners there's thousands of them and israel's not doing that choosing instead to of course bombard the territory and kill people create more refugees and possibly even harm the hostages in the process yep awful uh let's let's take really quickly look at more um um more from martha uh let, let's hear what what she has to martha raditz let's hear what she has to say about what happened. Clip 11. Terrorized Israel. We visited one of the brutalized communities where about 100 people were killed last Saturday morning. Others there were taken hostage. It is so hard to hear about, to watch on TV, and even harder to see up close. But Israeli officials and people here say these crimes need to be shown, that the world needs to bear witness. They came to kill. Okay, let me just, let, let's hear, what does she say? She says, People here say these crimes need to be shown, that the world needs to bear witness. Do you think the Palestinians think that the Israeli crimes, the she says people here in Israel think that the world needs to bear witness. That's nice that she's acting on orders um, from the Israeli people. Uh, does she think that the Palestinians would like people like her to bear witness or show the Israeli crimes that they're subjected to, or this is not even like something that passes through her mind. Great question. They came to kill, firing a barrage of rockets, raiding a music festival and taking Israelis hostage. An attack so horrific, so inhumane, it echoed the Holocaust. The remnants of the terror still everywhere. This is where it all began heavily. It echoes the Holocaust. So people are making a lot of comparisons because this is the most highest number of Jews killed since the Holocaust, which I would say in some ways undermines that Jews are safer now. Um, and I'm not downplaying the, the attack, um, the massacre. I'm not. But the fact that 
the part of the lessons of the Holocaust is never again. And I would like to think that it's never again to anyone, not just Jews. But someone could say the ethnic cleansing and the genocide reminds us of genocide and the Holocaust. Um, absolutely. And you have uh, many Holocaust survivors yes. who've, who've pointed out that the imprisonment of the Gaza Strip is similar to the um, Warsaw Ghetto. camps, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, um, Baruch Kimmerling, who's a, who was a, he's now passed away, but he was a very prominent professor at Hebrew University. He said that the Gaza Strip is the largest concentration camp in the world. Um, if there's a Holocaust and an analogy there, that's the one to make. Uh, whatever you want to say about Hamas, they're not Nazis. They're an occupied uh, militant organization that carried out a very brutal assault uh, against an occupier. But that's not what the not the Nazis were a uh, something far different. Obviously, they were determined to exterminating uh, people. Uh, they were genocidal. Hamas is resisting an occupation. You can condemn your ta their tactics all they want, and you know no one here is justifying the killing of innocent civilians. But they're not Nazis. They're not. And all this could have been avoided, I believe, many years ago had Israel ended its occupation accepted the consensus of the entire world and recognized Palestinian rights in whatever form that could take, but some mere, some basic minimal recognition of Palestinian rights, which they've always refused to do. And hence, here we are today. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, well, let's hear from a sane voice. This is Rashid Khalidi. He is a professor at Columbia University. He's a historian, written many books about Palestine. He's Palestinian himself. And he is one of the few Palestinians who are allowed on corporate TV. So here he is speaking to Fareed Zakaria. They could condemn. How would you respond? I think the utter hypocrisy of the West in ignoring indiscriminate killing of infinitely larger numbers of Palestinians, 4,000 of them, mostly civilians, killed in Gaza since 2006 by aerial bombardment from Israel, has desensitized people. They they feel that there's there's a, a complete lack of attention to Arab humanity. Um, so far, 2,300 Palestinians have been killed, most of them civilians. And we see very little of the kind of moral condemnation that the killing of hundreds and hundreds of Israeli civilians has provoked. So I think that the reaction is partly a reaction to that, and partly a reaction to the fact that no political horizon has been offered to the Palestinians for decades. They're basically told, you will be subjugated, you will be second-class citizens, if that. You will be dispossessed. We will take your land at, at will. And the United States has basically not just supported, but financed and armed that process. So people in the Arab world, when they see no political horizon, um, are willing to turn to Hamas, willing to turn to, to acts that, uh, that in normal times people would consider horrific. But they see the horrific toll that has been inflicted on Gaza by siege 16, 17 years by periodic bombardments, killing hundreds and hundreds of innocent civilians. And uh, I think they say, well, where's the, where's the, wh wh humanity is humanity. If you want us to condemn the killing of civilians in Israel, what about the killing of civilians in Gaza and elsewhere in, in the occupied territories? But surely the right response, Rashid, would be to condemn the killing of civilians in Israel and in Gaza. In other words, not to be indifferent to both. I don't think people are indifferent to both. I don't think that's the issue. I think that they feel that these demands 
for condemnation of the horrific terrorist massacres by whoever it may be, Hamas in this case, um, are never uh, matched by uh, demands of Israeli spokesmen, of Israeli politicians, of Israeli academics for condemnation of the horrific terrorist massacre of, in this case, 720-something children in the last six days in the Gaza Strip. If this is horrific and terrorist, that is horrific and terrorist. I, I hate, I, I, I abhor the idea of the killing of civilians. But civilians are civilians. Children are children. Jewish children are not important, more important than Arab children. Jewish civilians, Israeli civilians are not more important. But that's the way the West is treating this, uh, unfortunately. Let and me, that let hypocrisy, me ask. Uh, unfortunately, undermines, undermines the whole, this whole argument. Let me ask you about the, the the question of the political option because this is I mean there's so much heat around this that I want your I want your take. Um, it is all true, not the Netanyahu government, I will grant you, but two prior governments, the Omer government and Ehud Barak, did try to make a what I think was a serious offer of a of a Palestinian state, and in both cases the Palestinians essentially walked away. Um, Abbas, uh, from what we can tell, never responded to Omer, and Abu Maz and uh, Arafat essentially launched uh, an intifada. So, isn't it fair to say that the uh, efforts by different Israeli governments than this one, not Netanyahu's, were not met by Palestinians in a in a productive way? I want to answer this one before we hear from Rashid Khalidi because yeah, I really care about this issue a lot because I followed it very closely. This issue of Israel offering Palestinians. The, these generous peace deals and Palestinians turning away. That's the narrative we hear over and over and over. It's been used to constantly justify every Israeli act of violence. Um, and it's completely false. So he mentions two Israeli peace officers uh, offers to Palestine. The first one was by Ehud Barak in July 2000 to Yasser Arafat at Camp David, brokered by Bill Clinton. And Fareed Zakaria says that Arafat, instead of accepting this generous peace offer, launched an intifada against Israel. What actually happened was Israel offered Palestine a peace deal that would have kept the large West Bank settlement blocks that make a Palestinian state impossible and would even have denied Palestine any access to East Jerusalem, which is the heart of Palestinian life. Like it's the center of not just Palestinian life, but the but the Muslim world. It's a it's a it's a holy place. And Israel was basically its offer to Palestine then was we'll let you have a, a capital you can call Jerusalem, but it's actually not going to be the real Jerusalem. It's going to be like a, a suburb of Jerusalem. So no Palestinian leader, even a corrupt one like Arafat, who was willing to make any kind of deal, uh, could accept that. It just, it just could not happen at all. So, the, um, so that was the peace deal that was offered to Palestine in July 2000 at Camp David. And that's why one of the chief negotiators of Israel at Camp David, his name is Shlomo Ben-Ami, he was the Israeli foreign minister. He said in a debate with Norman Finkelstein on Democracy Now! years later, he said, if I were Palestinian, I would have rejected Camp David as well. And the same goes for follow-up Israeli peace officers. The follow-up Israeli officers, officers got a little bit better, but were based on the same principle of keeping the West Bank settlement blocks that really cut into a, a Palestinian state, make it very difficult. And also, by the way, Palestinians were never even shown maps. They weren't allowed to study maps of what their future Palestinian state would look like. And Ehud al-Mer, the closest that they got to giving Palestine a map was a sketch that Ehud al-Mer made and, and gave to Abbas a sketch like by hand uh, on the which back of a, a napkin. Yeah, kidding. exactly. It's not a real map. Anyway, so let's that's my answer. That's my long answer to that. But let's hear Rashid Khalidi, what he says. Well, I, I, I can't in the 
two minutes that we're going to have. I can't go into the details. Luckily, neither, Aaron was there to do it. None of the Israeli proposals, nor from Rabin, nor from Olmert, nor from Barak, uh, uh, involved complete Palestinian sovereignty and independence. None of them involved end to occupation. None of them involved an end to settlements. Uh, you can't have a Palestinian state with hundreds of thousands of Israelis settled there. You cannot have a Palestinian state if you don't control your borders. In other words, what was on offer was never anywhere near the minimum of what is required for a just, equitable two-state solution. That was never on offer in any of these Israeli offers, however far they went. I could go into detail if you want, but I think that's the problem. And, and the last thing I'll say is these things were quite a while ago. We've been 10 or 15 years without anything of this sort being offered by anybody. I want to ask you about your family in, in Gaza. All right, well, that's a good way to leave it. That's a good debunking of such a, a prevalent talking point that's used to justify more violence. And uh, uh, you need to paint your foes, the people you're killing, as these like, uh, uh, you know, stubborn, implacable um, opponents who refuse any kind of reasonable accommodation. That's the, that's the reason behind the narrative is to basically justify violence against them because by falsely claiming they would never accept peace with you. Palestinians would never accept a coexist with Israel. That's why we have to fight them. It's not true. It's not, it's not, it's not true at all. Israel has never offered anything that approaches minimal Palestinian rights. And I think that's a major reason why we're in what we're in today. Yeah. I just uh, want to, that's our last clip, right? Yeah. I believe. I just want to add one more thing because I was, I mentioned the Martha Raddatz comparison to the Holocaust. And I found this very, um, uh, moving. There is an article in um, Jewish Currents, and uh, it's called We Cannot Cross Until We Carry Each Other. The editors-in-chief of Jewish Currents are recommitting to our movements in this moment. And they, one of the lines from this article is, Jews share memes about the highest number of Jewish casualties since the Holocaust, not bothering to ask who right now is being ethnically cleansed or how many massacres of this size Gaza has seen in the last dozen years. That's right. Yeah. It's a great point. Yeah. And no, someone in the comments is like, massacre, stop it. I'm not going to stop it. It was a massacre. The point is that there are massacres that Palestinians have been visited, had visited on them frequently, and that what's happening now is ethnic cleansing and genocide. Um, also just quickly, because I think we should do this. I want to just thank, uh, everyone who's given a super chat. Also, thank you guys. If you've liked it, because please do like it. Cause we really want to get this out there. This is not just, you know, my usual haranguing for likes, but we do, it helps the algorithm. And I think everyone can agree. This is an important thing to watch. Um, thank you, Jay core. Uh, thank you. I'm Medea. Uh, Benin, hi. I met Katie randomly walking home in Brooklyn a few weeks ago. She's just as delightful in person as she is on our show. I greatly appreciate both of your work. I look forward to Aaron's book. Cheers. Um, this I thought was worth reading. Uh, well, no, first I'll do this one. Voices like yours are so important, especially at this moment. I miss the 90s. Love you both, Katie and Aaron. I, I wonder if too. It was a great time. Yeah, it yeah. was. I wonder if there is a constructive way to get your points across. Is there a way to deliver historic facts without provocatively poking the bear with deadpan sarcasm, wishing you and Katie safety in these troubling times? I've, to be totally transparent, I've kind of struggled with this because I want to make sure to reach people. But I also, like, I speak, I mean, I have a certain type of speaking and a voice. And I think that everyone has a different role. So people who want to present these facts 
that we're we're presenting in a deadpan way, you guys are now armed with this information and you can do it however you want. I've been sharing some things on social media that are written not in my voice in order to get some people who aren't ready to hear it from me. But uh, yeah, ultimately, you know, we have to reach people, but we all have different roles and different lanes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, we always appreciate the feedback. So thank you for that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up. Useful idiots podcast.com to support the show and get bonus content. And Katie on the Katie helper show tonight, you're going to have on Norman Finkelstein. Yep. 7 PM Norman Finkelstein. So youtube.com slash the Katie helper show. Don't forget to go there. Also, uh, we do these things now, Tuesdays, we've opened it up to not just su subscribers. Tuesdays, we have um, a chat on Substack where you can come and chat with us. Um, yeah, and please, please, please make sure you watch our episode from last week where we speak to three journalists, um, two Palestinian journalists, one based in two Gazan journalists, one still in Gaza, one in Cop Copenhagen, and one American journalist who's based in uh, Bethlehem. Extremely important to listen to their voices. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning thanks, in. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.